everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. Today I'm talking about the 2020 drama, The King, Eternal Monarch. Or Monarch, no, Monarch, yes. <laughs> so, The King, Eternal Monarch is a 16-episode fantasy, parallel worlds, romance drama with a bit of blood and a bit of detecting. Um, it was also, for me as I am sure it was for like a lot of K-drama viewers out there. Um, one of my most highly anticipated, if not the most highly anticipated drama for me for the whole of 2020. This is the drama I was probably most like kind of excited about. And it's hard not to be with the kind of setup I think that it has. So uh, the writer is, of course, mad famous uh, scriptwriter Kim and Suk, who is responsible for about a fucking million mega hits <laughs> in K drama land. Um, and also, yeah, just so many. She's so famous. Um, and also, I think people were particularly excited for this one because it is the actor Lee Min Ho's big like, K drama comeback after being away at army for whatever, two years or however long he's been gone. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of uh, really good elements. I think the cast is so strong. The setup sounds so exciting. So there's like so much to get people excited about this show. Um, before I get started, I will, this isn't a warning exactly. I just want to make it clear that I really liked a lot of this show. Like I really liked a lot of aspects of it and a lot of elements. I really liked all the characters. Um, there, so there is a lot that I love that I am going to talk about. And, and I really loved those, those things, but I also feel like it didn't connect with me emotionally in the way that I wanted it to. And I had, I guess some commentary around certain things that I felt weren't done the way that I would have liked them to be and just different elements like that. So I guess what I'm saying is my discussion is going to have good stuff and it's going to have bad stuff. And I know, I feel like this is the kind of show that is really, really polarizing um, with viewers. I think there's a lot of um, drama fans out there who really, really love it and feel really, really strongly about their love for it and probably aren't up for hearing someone, you know, talk shit about it. Um which I totally get, like, I'm totally like that about my favorite shows as well. Um, and I think there are a lot of people that probably really, really fucking hated it. Um, I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Um, I don't think I absolutely loved it, but I also don't hate it by any means. I feel like my, maybe my main problem with it was that I didn't connect enough with it emotionally. And I guess when I say that, I guess I mean the main romance, um, I didn't connect enough with that romance, which is such a huge element of the show, uh, deeply enough to really feel the drama probably one way or the other. So I ended up loving all the side characters more than I loved the central romance. And I actually loved the main two characters more as separate entities doing their own thing than I did 
kind of watching their romance elements, which is, you know, not the way <laughs> that I want to experience a K-drama simply because I'm obsessed with romance. Like, this is why I love K-dramas. I love K-dramas because K-dramas are fucking filled to the brim with cool romance. So I think for me, I felt disappointed that I didn't feel what I wanted to feel. Um, I feel some of that for me, I feel was probably the writing in the setup of the romance um, and also a little bit around personal taste around the character that Lee Min Ho plays. Like I love Lee Min Ho. I think he's amazing, even though he had to wear so many fucking turtlenecks in this drama. And that is an absolute pet hate for me. No one looks good in a turtleneck, not even Lee Min Ho. Personally, that's what I think. <laughs> Um, but also I felt like his character felt kind of sidelined at the beginning of the drama, I think personally. Uh, but anyway, I think I'll get into that stuff. And I guess I just wanted to say, if you love it, I think that's really cool. And I definitely loved elements of it. I think on the whole, I loved more of it than I didn't love. It was just that I felt a bit ambivalent towards certain areas of it. Um, so anyway, I guess uh, that's that's the setup. Um, oh, well, I, I mean, the overview of what the show is, I quite like that it's only 16 episodes, but at the same time, if it's only 16, I think that at the beginning it felt a bit slow and kind of um, spent a lot of time on weird things like – the relationship between the kingdom of Korea with a C and Japan, who apparently wanted to invade them, you know, a whole episode on that, that was never returned to. And then, you know, the king of the kingdom of Korea never spent practically a moment being a king towards the end. He was always time traveling, which was frankly more interesting than politics. <laughs> but also, I don't know if he was a good king because he just kept leaving all the time. Um, anyway, so I guess I'll, I'll talk about the setup. So basically we have parallel worlds. I love this idea. I think it's really cool. I think for a, probably for a non-Korean viewer, so anyone watching, um, the drama from outside of Korea, it can be a little bit confusing at the start because I think the drama relies very heavily on your knowledge of skylines, like city skylines to understand whether, um, certain scenes are taking place in Seoul or in Busan or in the kingdom of Korea or the Republic of Korea. Um, so basically in the kingdom of Korea with a C, the monarchy still exists. They have a completely different history that has deviated from the Republic of the Korea. There was no Japanese occupation. The Joseon dynasty, you know, that dynasty descendants still exist uh, and as there's still kings and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they have moved their capital city to Busan um, to basically be in the front lines of any potential wars with Japan. Um, we saw there was a lot of like, hmm, kind of hinting towards modern politic and relationship like country ties in this. That was a little bit, I was like, whoa, do you put that in a drama or is that a bit... I don't know. I, do, I mean, you know, I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> was interesting. Um, so I think the drama really relies on you understanding that if it shows you, you know, the Busan cityscape, which is a seaside city, um, which and then shows you the statue of General Yi, um, you know, he's not really there. That kingdom isn't there. That statue isn't there. It's in Seoul. Um, so it, I think I, I, I think I could follow it because I've been there like once. <laughs> so I knew enough to know um, between, but I still found that a little bit confusing sometimes to figure out which, which kind of parallel world we were in. But I, I don't think that's a real problem, to be honest. Um, so with the drama, we find out basically that Lee Min Ho's character is Egon. Um, so he is the king of Korea. And when he was young, about only eight years old, he there was basically a coup. Um, the kings, so Lee Min Ho's dad, or sorry, Egon's dad, 
uh, the king gets murdered by his older half-brother who covets the throne, but he also covets a magic flute um, that he believes will enable him to walk between parallel worlds. So it turns out that, you know, um, Egon's grandfather knew about this flute and was walking around between worlds and doing stuff, but clearly this knowledge maybe has only really been passed down in terms of legends and the younger generation hasn't really doesn't really seem to know the truth of that or perhaps they do and just Egon never really found out um in the assassination attempt a lot of people die the king gets murdered and poor little Egon gets fucking choked out by a grown man which is gross and then lies on the ground um (coughs) excuse me oh goodness um like just uh surrounded by blood and snow and he gets saved by a random stranger who he doesn't know who it is and this person leaves behind a modern police tag from a place that doesn't exist which is the real world republic of south korea Republic of Korea. Um, So Egon grows up into, you know, a a super good looking young king who's awesome at everything. And he has a cool best friend who is played by the actor Udo Hwan, who I love. (laughs) I feel like every time I say Udo Hwan's name (laughs) on this show, I'm always like, who I love. Um, But I do, I love him. And he's, you know, a very serious, loyal best friend um, who just basically is Egon's shadow and will die for him Um, and never smiles and is very like deadpan and serious and ready to murder anyone who gets in Egon's way basically or tries to hurt Egon. Um, And so Egon has half a flute He's not really sure what it does, um, but it got left behind at the assassination attempt and is obviously, you know, this really famous relic. He's got it turned into a little horse whip so that when he goes horse riding, he can use his little flute to like horse whip around the place. And he also has this identity tag of someone um, called Tail, who is a police lieutenant, I think, a detective um, from a place that shouldn't exist. And also the date of it, you know, is set in the future. And he's had it for like 20 years. So it's pretty weird. Um, And then we kind of catch up with Tail, who is the lieutenant um, detective, played by the actress Kim Goen. I really, really like Kim Goen. I think she's great. Um, I really liked this character, actually, the detective. She's kind of, when we get introduced to her... You know, her and her fellow detectives are in this like little sting operation and she's just tough and cool and quite no nonsense. And I, when they introduced um, Tail and her little group of detectives, I was like, fuck, I want to watch this drama. Like, (laughs) I mean, I'm totally into watching something with Lee Min Ho and like parallel universes and all this fantasy stuff. But I was also really into just the really small scale. I just thought they had good chemistry, I think. Um, So Tail's um, kind of right-hand man is played by the actor Kim Gyeong-nam and that character's name is Shin Jae. So I freaking love this actor, Kim Gyeong-nam. Um, he is like, he's just been working forever. He's been in dramas forever. Um, like so many dramas that I've watched that I just I guess, never noticed him in until I saw him in the drama Come and Hug Me. Uh, that must have been, I can't remember, like two years ago or something. And he plays like um, an, an one of the antagonists within that drama. And he's fucking good in it. Like, he's really good. And since then, he's been in a few other dramas, but I haven't seen those yet. So this was my second drama seeing him, but he really like left an impression on me after seeing him kind of as this tragic Mm, yeah, antagonist. I won't, I won't spoil that drama since I'm not talking about it. Um, although normally I do. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, so he plays, I really, yeah, he's really cool in this actually. He plays this other detective that Tail works with, but, you know, eventually we see their backstory and basically, you know, he's met her in high school. He's been in love with her since, you know, he was a teenager. He's clearly followed her around. He started um, learning Taekwondo at her dad's studio um, just to be near her, basically. And he has an absolutely fucked up home life and, you know, has to look after his mother who has an alcohol and gambling problem. So he's constantly cleaning up her legal and gangster messes all the time. Um, And, you know, we kind of see, you know, look, 
His character is very much to my taste. (laughs) And this is why I think I did have an issue with the romance in this drama. And this is where it comes down to absolute personal taste um, that I think anyone listening to me will realize that this this isn't me saying something's good or bad. This is me saying that when you have a female lead who is a cool detective that I like and she has to choose between, you know, a, a king who basically for the first few episodes at least doesn't do anything because he has a right-hand man, Udo Hani, does everything for him. And all he does is like go shopping and stay in a hotel suite and wear fucking awful turtlenecks and like, you know, military brocade fitted suits um as opposed to a tragic poverty stricken tragic history detective man who is pining away secretly in love with his best friend for 10 years like like that has every element (laughs) that I like in a character so I couldn't win like straight away I was like oh I hope she falls in love with the detective (laughs) who, you know, obviously the detective is not played by Lee Min Ho, so she's not going to fucking fall in love with him. So, you know, I've watched plenty of dramas. I knew that was never going to happen. So I didn't fully jump on that ship. And also I feel like this drama had so many characters that it couldn't really fully develop any sort of love triangle. Like it really didn't um, realistically probably even try. Um, but I really, really liked the character of Shinje. I thought his storyline was super interesting. And I even had this idea, like when I was watching, I was like, imagine if this whole drama was told from Shinje's point of view. Um, and it's all about this detective slowly like this detective who is haunted by terrible dreams of his mother trying to throw him off a bridge when he was about eight or nine years old (laughs) fucked up and then also calling him by a different name and abandoning him in the street and then him waking up after apparently being in a coma for a few years and his mum and dad call him by a different name and they've got different names and the world is completely different and of course because he was a little kid and he was in a coma he starts thinking that these nightmares these memories he has aren't real he's made them up but he's haunted by them and they're distressing because why did he make them up you know and then little by little he begins to realize that potentially it's true and people from a parallel universe are coming through and taking over other people's lives like it is creepy as fuck like it's so cool so although obviously that wasn't the main focus and following Shinji around as he investigates all this shit was not the main focus of the drama I thoroughly enjoyed all those elements like I love the creepiness of these scary people either taking you know taking people murdering their their other selves and Like, whoa. And I just loved the idea of like a very ordinary detective, you know, with a maybe not so ordinary past, um, investigating that and not really knowing what to do and not really having anyone believe them. I just thought it was a really cool idea. Um, And obviously that's not really what the show was, but that element is a part of it. And I loved it. Um, Also, you know, obviously I love the fact that he loves tail and it doesn't really go anywhere or get fully explored. But as a character, I really liked him. But again, you know, I think that's that's personal taste. Um, So what what basically happens in the drama, which I feel like everyone's probably watched it and doesn't need me to recap anything. Uh, Also, I might say that this review feels very haphazard um, or discussion, I should say, and I feel all over the place. um, So I'm sure I'm doing a very bad job, but. Oh, well, here we go. <laughs> uh, so Egon, um, I can't even remember now. Like he just randomly for the first time ever goes through the bamboo forest. I don't know. <laughs> so he comes over to the kingdom of Korea. Uh, I'm sorry, the Republic of Korea with a K. Uh, and he rides his white horse around the middle of, you know, the main square in front of Gyeongbokgung the palace place uh, and, you know, straight away he meets Tail and she's like, what the fuck are you doing on a horse in the middle of the city? Get off. <laughs> Who are you? Where's your ID? And he's just wearing that, you know, standing there wearing this like insane outfit with like, 
you know, zillion dollar diamond buttons. And he's like, oh, I can't tell you my name <laughs> and I don't have an ID. But he's straight away, like he's just all over her because she's clearly the woman from this ID tag that he's had for 20 years. And he's convinced that she is the woman who has saved his life as a child. Clearly she knows nothing about that. So he's a little bit confused and he doesn't know what's going on, but he feels like this is destiny. This is the meeting that he has been waiting for since he was a small child. Um, But I think this is where probably I wanted to get on board with their romance and I just couldn't exactly. Like I never found it swoony and I feel really, really sad about that because I think my problem is that when a romance gets me, if that's the main element of the show and I find it fulfilling, I will fucking overlook every other fucking anything in a show. Like I'll be like convoluted plot twist, whatever. I don't care. The romance is solid as fuck. So I don't mind. But in this drama, I didn't feel the romance. So I immediately begin being more picky about other elements that I swear normally I wouldn't even like blink at or care about, you know, like product placement, which normally I'd be like, of course, they've got to use product placement. They've got to pay for the drama somehow. And this time I'm like, oh my God, fried chicken again. Like, gosh, can't you go somewhere else? But anyway, um, actually I found all that stuff fairly amusing. (laughs) I think I was more amused by all the fried chicken than like, um, horrified. Although I was horrified a few times when I felt like characters were literally turning to the camera to describe a product to me. And I was like, Lee Min Ho is such a good actor. He's so famous. He shouldn't have to describe the merits of a weird futuristic facial mask to me. He's too good for this shit. (laughs) Oh, so I feel like this is really getting off track. What was I saying? (laughs) Yeah. So the romance. Okay. So I guess my issue with it is one, it's a personal, there's a personal element to it, which is I'm never going to go for the rich, perfect guy, particularly because I feel Egon, when he turns up to the Republic of Korea, he doesn't do anything for quite a few episodes. Like he literally sells some buttons, does some shopping in some high-end stores and then stays in a high-end hotel suite and, you know, stares at Tail lovingly. And I like that he stares at her lovingly and he's already fully invested, but he doesn't do anything. And I, I wanted to see him I guess be more active. I felt like he was a very passive character and everyone else in the drama had something to do except for him. Like he just hung out in a hotel suite for quite a while and had fried chicken with tail while she's like grilling him all the time. And he's just, you know, very calmly not answering her questions, which is fair enough because his story is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So I guess character wise, it probably took me a while to really like Lee gone because I really felt like he, he, everyone else was more interesting than him. Everyone else had more interesting things to do. And I feel like even with like Egon, there was moments where, you know, something cool would happen like later on um, when he was hanging out with uh, Udo Han again, like his right-hand man, um, you know, King guard, the King's guard or whatever. And, you know, they'd be about to get in a fight and then Lee Ho would be just like, you go deal with that Udo Juan. I'm just going to stand over here. And then he wouldn't even, he wouldn't do anything. <laughs> um, but I feel like, I feel like those elements actually got really rectified after just a couple of episodes and, and Egon ended up with quite a lot to do and became, he became more of the central character of the story, which is, you know, what you expect if, if the character is played by Lee Min Ho, you do think he's going to be the most important character on the show, along with obviously Tail. And I feel at the start, he wasn't. He wasn't the most interesting and he wasn't the most important. He, he just felt like someone who was kind of getting washed along in, in the plot rather than someone who was driving the plot anywhere. Um, and so my other issue, I guess, when it came to the romance was that I felt the emotions between the characters just moved along a little bit too quickly for me to, for me to keep up and feel what they were feeling. Um, I felt like they had, I felt like I wanted Tail to push back against everything a little bit longer. Like, I guess I couldn't understand why she kept being drawn to him. Like, I know Tail was still like, I don't believe you, you're rubbish. 
that like none of that's true. You're an idiot. But she kept finding him and thinking about him and visiting him. And he didn't say anything or do anything I felt that would make her be intrigued by him other than the fact that he's super hot. And I (laughs) don't find it attractive that she was intrigued by him simply because he's a good looking dude. (laughs) I wanted her to have something more, I suppose. Like I wanted him to give her a better hook, I suppose, than just his pretty face. Um, So I guess that made me like like her a little bit less only for those like couple episodes where she's clearly feeling something for this man and swooning over him just a little bit. She's still pushing back, but she's still feeling something for him, even though she doesn't know anything about him. She's barely spoken to him. He's just spouting the most ridiculous bonkers stuff that makes her think that potentially he has like some delusion issues. And yet he's so pretty and has a nice white horse that she's feels something. I don't know. I feel like I'm complaining a bit now. Um, so yeah. Um, so I guess what happened for me in the romance in this show is that, um, I felt, so I felt like I really liked a lot of their scenes. So this is where it gets like really bonkers what I'm trying to say. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But I really liked a lot of their scenes. Um, I liked it when they were separated and they'd get back together and, you know, the emotions was like running really deep in terms of how they feel about each other. It was this real like ripped apart forbidden love across, you know, sweeping epic. And, you know, when he, when she like gets kidnapped and taken to the other world and then like he has to go fight all these dudes and save her and carry her off and it's all slow motion. So there's like these really swoony epic romantic moments between them and I liked all of them but I just felt like the foundation was too quick they fell in love too quick for me to feel like fully get on board and I felt like I if all all those scenes I felt would have worked perfectly for me personally if you know I don't know they'd been dating for a lot longer like five years or they'd been married or something um so it just didn't work for me so early on in their relationship I just kind of wished um I don't know I think what what maybe like a slight change that would have made it work for me is that because I kind of got why Egon likes her he knows that tail is his destiny he has this bloody ID card like that's all she can be. So I feel like he loves her, the idea of her before he's even met her. Like there's no way he's not going to fall in love with her when he meets her because she's his destiny and he knows it. But the problem for me came on Tail's side that he, she doesn't know him from Bar of Soap. There's no connection. There's no anything. And I kind of liked it later on in the drama when through the time travel, everything flipped on its head and he ends up being stuck in time and visiting her like throughout her life. So the second time they meet for the first time, um, she already knows who he is and she has this connection. And I felt like that was kind of where I wanted her to be at the start of the drama that we watched. I wanted her to have like had this weird destiny connection with him that enables me to believe that she would, you know, jump in to falling in love with this stranger so easily. And I feel like I could have believed that more if they'd had this connection where he'd been visiting her, you know, all these times throughout her life, because there's something magic there. There's something to do with destiny. And I feel like I just would have felt it more between them. Um, than I did the first time around. So I don't know if that's just me, if it's just the way that I'm viewing it, because I definitely know that there are a lot of viewers that found this drama super, super swoony. And I think some of that does come down to what I particularly like in, you know, particularly a male lead character, um, the kind of male lead characters that I like. I never go for the princely, perfect types. It's just not so much my thing. Um, but I do wonder if other people felt that way about about the progression of the romance, I suppose, um, in that it just felt a bit quick. And I think it could have really easily been solved by just giving Tail 
a reason to want to love him in the way that Egon has through his past experience of having her ID card and waiting for her his whole life. Um, I think if she'd had the same kind of thing, um, I think I would have got on board with it because I did really like a lot of their scenes. Um, I really liked, you know, I felt like it was very, they were very epic and you know, they, for instance, and this is another thing which I think it didn't quite pull off for me personally is like, you know, Tail and Egon would be separated through their separate worlds. And this is back at the quite at the beginning of the drama, um, but they've already like confessed their love. Like, so she's come back from his world and, you know, they've kissed and they've obviously dating or whatever. And so the drama doesn't really specify how long it's been that they've been apart, but in terms of us as a viewer, it's been half an episode. And in terms of the show that we're watching their timeline, it doesn't feel like it's been that long. It feels like maybe it's been a week. And then, you know, when they see each other, she's just like, she looks like she's seeing her husband of 10 years after being parted from him during like a civil war. Like she is just overflowing with emotion and crying and sobbing and I loved it. I loved the emotion, but it felt a little bit unearned to me because I couldn't understand why she was reacting so strongly when she's only met this man three times in her life before. And even if she's in love with him, you know, she she didn't even think that he was in danger. She just knew he was going home for a bit. So, yeah, and I, I don't know if that's just personal stuff or not. Um, anyway... I don't think I'll go into the whole plot because it's very hard to explain <laughs> and I feel like people have seen it. Um, I think maybe this discussion is more for people who have seen it. Um, but, you know, obviously there's the parallel worlds, there's an evil dude um, and I never could really understand what this evil dude, um, Lee Lim, e Lim uh, yeah, I could never really understand, oh, Irim, I guess, Irim's um, kind of objective because I feel like in the kingdom of Korea with a C, if an older half-brother turns up to a palace and assassinates his younger brother, the king of a modern kingdom in the modern world in a bloody coop and strangles an, an eight-year-old boy with his fingers and then... I feel like the world would notice. Like, I feel like the UN would be like, you can't fucking do that. Like, you can't be the king after, like, stabbing up your brother. You're a murderer. You have to go to prison. So, I mean, I get he was trying to get the flute, but I don't really get how he thought he was ever going to be king. Unless he wanted the flute so he could go back in time to before he killed the king and then assassinate the king in a quiet way so no one would know it was him. Although, why didn't he assassinate the king in a quiet way in the first place? See, this is what I mean. I start getting picky in ways that normally I wouldn't. Um, I think I did get a bit confused with the plot, particularly when it came to um, Irim and what he was trying to do and who he was trying to recruit and um, what his objective actually was. Um, and also, you know, when he goes back in time and then kills himself, but then there were still two of him on the screen. And I did kind of turn away from my screen for five minutes. And I feel like I missed something like really fundamental because I couldn't figure out how if future Irim went to the past and murdered himself, why he was still in the future. So that was confusing. And also the other thing that I found confusing and didn't understand and potentially was explained and was another five minute moment where I looked away from the screen and missed something fundamental was, um, you know, in the future, like or in the present timeline, um, Kim go and Lee Min-ho finally have E-Rim and he's on his knees and they've got the flute, both bits of the flute and they're holding both bits of the flute. And Lee Min-ho is like, I'm not going to put them back together, even though that would right the whole world. And we've got the bad guy in front of us right now. And, and we could, you know, either murder him or put him in jail. Instead, I'm going to go back in time and prevent him from assassinating my dad and choking me out. But I was like, that's nice. I get why you want to save your dad and you want to stop 
the coup from ever happening because it's tragic and awful. But also a lot of people die every day. And I, this is an ethical thing. (laughs) I'm getting into an ethical discussion. What gives Lee Min Ho the right to go back in time to save people and to save specific people of his choice people because not everyone what about everyone else who died i just don't know i don't know but he does he goes back and he wipes that entire future so you know there'd be children that were born that would no longer exist because certain things didn't happen the way that they did um you know it's it's really it's a very irresponsible thing to do (laughs) time travel is you know you've got to be very responsible to do that (laughs) you've got to understand that you're going to impact people's lives um so I also felt kind of funny about the ending where um Lee Min Ho and Kim go in are like every weekend we're just going to go into a different time period and like hang out and potentially impact everything and change the course of history which felt it felt it felt irresponsible for like a weekend away. <laughs> so I think I'm getting a bit too like ethical on this one. Um, so <laughs> oh, so what I was gonna do now is um, well, I was gonna talk about stuff that I didn't love, which I feel like it did touch on a little bit, and then I was gonna talk about the stuff that I did love because as much as I've been bagging out this show, there's actually so much that I really, really loved. And I think this is such a hard show to even talk about because there is so much going on. Um, There are so many characters, so many different storylines. And then the main storyline keeps rebooting itself and redoing itself. So it's like, this show is very complex and huge and it's very, very hard to talk about, I'm realizing now. So I think this whole discussion will just be completely incoherent and, oh, well, that's just what it'll be. Um, so before I get on to my next two, like stuff I didn't love and stuff I did love, I just wanted to touch on the controversies around the show, um, just really lightly and probably not in depth, because I always find as a lover of K-dramas, I love following casting news, but I try not to delve into the tabloid side of stuff. I don't love to know about scandals and things like that, because I think I find that side of celebrity fairly depressing. Like, I don't know why I just do. Um, so I don't like getting into it usually except to, yeah, but I did come across some things in this one that I guess I found a little bit interesting. Um, so, well, one thing obviously, which I think probably all listeners who watch the show already know is that it didn't do that well ratings wise. It didn't get received very well. Um, and I guess, you know, from my own point of view on the story, I probably sort of agree with that. Um, I, I don't think it was, I just feel like it started off a little bit slow and that probably put people off. Um, and yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's just, that's just how it is with the ratings. Um, so I think it underperformed, which I do think is really sad because I think the cast is really, really strong. Like it's such a good cast. And I also think ideas wise and concepts, concept wise, it's awesome. I think it's really, really awesome. But I think the truth is, and I really like this writer. She's done so many fantastic things. Um, I think that there was some writing missteps, I think personally. And also I think the product placement probably did a lot of harm. Um, I think it is the show that has had the most product placement that I've ever seen in my life in a K-drama. And it was funny, but at the same time you are watching ads within a drama and it really pulls you out of the show. Um, And I can see that viewers in Korea might've found that really frustrating. I think it's slightly less frustrating for overseas viewers just because a lot of the products that are getting advertised, you know, might be unfamiliar to us. They might not be things that we can purchase in our own countries. Um, So it becomes a little bit less obnoxious (laughs) in a way and more about a window into, you know, different products that are available in a country, you know, that aren't available to you. So I think there's a bit of interest there, except with the fried chicken, obviously. So much fried chicken. Um, So, I mean, I didn't – there was too much product placement, but I think – yeah, no, there was. (laughs) I was going to say something kind about it, but I won't. (laughs) 
Um, so the other controversies that I suppose were interesting was um, in the first episode when it aired, you know, there's the the kind of intro part when the credits roll at the start, um, the intro for the drama, and it shows all the palaces in, you know, the different buildings in the palace in Busan um, in the kingdom of Korea with a C. Um, and apparently in Korea, in the media, they pointed out a similarity between the silhouettes of the buildings in the Korean palace to those of traditional Japanese um, architecture for, you know, Japanese castles and things like that. Um, and obviously, Japan and Korea have a very complicated history. Um, and there is a lot of, I guess, ill feeling there um, because of that history. And it was, it's an interesting thing, just seeing the amount of controversy that blew up around that to the point where, you know, the director had to apologize and change the, the building silhouettes um, because people were really, really upset about it. And then that occurred again in, I think it was episode six, where, you know, we basically spend a whole episode dealing with the politics between Korea and Japan, and we spend the whole episode on you know, warships out in the sea, which again, for a, for a 16 episode drama, I don't think we needed to spend a whole episode on politics that actually had nothing to do with the main story and that we never came back around to. But at the time I didn't know that I thought it was going to be important. <laughs> um, but there was a huge controversy that the Korean warships they kept showing on screen actually looked like real life Japanese warships. And the director again had to apologize. And this time he was like, I don't fucking know what warships look like. Like, well, they all look the same to me, except he said that in a really respectful, um, you know, apologetic kind of way. <laughs> um, so it just goes to show you how sensitive things are between Korea and Japan, and I guess particularly probably on Korea's side in that, well, there's just a huge amount of history there that I, I won't go into, but... I did find those, I guess you could call them scandals. I don't know. I did find that interesting. Um, and I guess it comes back to back to even having an episode in a modern drama with Japan wanting to invade Korea and Korea pushing back and being awesome and, you know, kind of showing Japan up. Like, because it's an interesting idea to put into a modern drama between two countries um, who are so closely tied, particularly in terms of, um, well, not just location, but um, pop culture. You know, a lot of Korean actors and singers are really famous in Japan, you know, hugely. And I'm always slightly interested by how Japanese audiences might receive um perhaps watching a Korean occupation era drama or, you know, how surely in Korea they would hope to sell the king, eternal monarch, to be aired in Japan, but then it has these elements in it. Um, so I guess I'm just interested in those relations, but I suppose I don't know enough about the modern political relationship between those two countries. Um, I know more about the history of it, but um, there you go. Interesting. Gosh, I really talk a lot, don't I? I just realized how, how long this episode already is. I'm just unable to like do short episodes now. Um, so I was actually going to talk about the stuff I didn't love now, but I realized I covered it all. I actually covered it all. The only thing that I didn't mention um, was the prime minister. Um, and it's not that I didn't love her. I actually kind of did love her, but I felt like she was given a lot of weight and a lot of screen time at the beginning as an antagonist um, politically and also obviously, you know, a very ambitious person. Um, and then she starts doing some crazy shit like murdering her other self in the parallel world. And then I felt at the end, she just sort of became irrelevant um, to the final outcome of the story and didn't even matter at all, which um, kind of made me wonder you know, what the point, I suppose, of her being so important for three quarters of the drama was. But in saying that, I actually really liked her. I liked it when she was on screen. Um, she's a beautiful woman who wears insane clothes and, you know, 
it was interesting. I kind of liked how ambitious she was and how she had dragged herself up out of nothing. Um, so I actually really liked her. Um, I liked all her screen time. So the stuff that I did love and man, I've just complained my head off about stuff, but they there's so much in the show that I thought was super, super cool. Um, so one thing that I love is the general idea and concept of parallel worlds and that deviation in history that creates a completely different timeline. Like it's so cool. Um, so I loved yeah, I just loved slowly understanding the differences. I also loved, you know, having doppelganger characters who grow up under different circumstances and become completely different people. Um, I really loved the juxtaposition between um, Tail, so Kim Goen's Tail, the main character, who is, you know, she's grown up loved and adored by her dad with a safe home and, you know, with Shinji by her side, helping her and looking after her, you know, just being her right-hand dude, you know, she's, she's grown up loved and she's grown up into this really cool, strong, tough, awesome individual who, you know, she's a police detective and she's fucking good at it. And then on the flip side of that, in the kingdom of Korea with a C, we see that, um, you know, her doppelganger, Luna, has just grown up on the streets completely without anything. And she has changed from being, you know, at the very end, we see what was quite a sweet young girl living a tough life into becoming a jaded, hardened individual who doesn't give a shit about anything. I really, really liked the character of Luna. I thought Kim Goen did a really good job of differentiating them both just through facial expressions, really. I think um, there was just something very hard and spiky about Luna um, that I really, really liked. And I felt there's so many concepts. I, I feel like maybe the show was just too packed. Maybe there was too much going on. But at the same time, I guess the upside of that is there's so many threads in the show that I want to pull. I want to know more about them. So, you know, it's kind of that thing where even though maybe I didn't love everything about the show, I probably wouldn't have been super upset if it had been 20 episodes instead of 16. You know, I think I like to know more about Luna. I um, I guess it kind of doesn't matter anyway, because everything resets at the end multiple times. But man, when she starts turning up in Tail's life and just sliding her way in there and sitting at the dinner table with Tail's dad and like, you know, fucking kissing poor Shinji, who doesn't know what the fuck's going on, like... Oh, this, it's just so interesting and there's so much room for cool, emotional, interesting things there, um, which obviously there wasn't really time to fully, fully explore, but I really, really liked them. Um, I also liked in terms of the doppelganger stuff, the sad reality that Egon, who is a king in one parallel world, is a little murdered boy that no one knows about or cares about in the other one. Like, I think that's heavy. And an interesting concept, you know, this idea of you just don't know what all the moments in your life will lead up to and what you will become, you know. I just, I found that really interesting. So I'm, I just loved all that stuff. Um, I also loved the, just the creepiness of Irim bringing these people between the worlds and, and them murdering their, their other selves. Like, and I don't doubt that there would be some people out there willing to do that, but it's just, you know, it's this act of literally murdering yourself, like being able to look yourself in the eye and killing that person. Like it's so intense. Um, but you know, these people are desperate. Um, I really liked all that stuff. I thought it was creepy and I almost wanted to watch like just a whole really creepy drama about that <laughs> with Shinji and Tao like investigating on the case. <laughs> I would have fucking loved that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, I also really liked the time travel. Um, you know, when they go back and well, Lee Min Ho goes back and he resets um, certain things, I... I was interested to see how that would all work. Um, really interested. So I thought that was all, yeah, it's just fun, I suppose, seeing how one change in the past will impact all of everybody's lives. And 
I particularly enjoyed that when he goes back and he completely wipes everything and changes it so that none of it kind of happens the way that it does. And we see that, you know, Shinji never even goes to the Republic of Korea. He just lives forever in that life and that Luna grows up completely differently. Um, I don't understand why that happened and not in the original, though. It doesn't actually make sense, but that's fine. <laughs> Won't think about that. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was all really, really cool. Um, so generally concept-wise and idea-wise, I thought, oh, I touched on some cool, cool things. Um, the other thing that I really loved in the show, which I barely mentioned, is Udo Juan and his two characters. Um, I think that I really feel like he was, I guess he was supposed to be the comic relief, the lighter relief, particularly his character Unsop from the Republic of Korea, who is like a bonkers Busan boy who's really loud and just completely insane. And there is a lot of fun to be had when the very straight laced, tough, scary, you know, King's Guard meets up with ridiculous Busan boy Unsop and they kind of, you know, come face to face. And there's a lot of comedy in that that I just thoroughly enjoyed and all the you know the kind of identity swapping and you know each of them going and doing different things between the worlds like I I loved all that stuff it was really really fun um so uh, and then I was just going to talk about Shinji again so the detective guy um, played by Kim Gyeongnam um I just you know, this is my second time seeing him and I feel like I hope he has a big future I hope he is a lead in his own drama soon um yeah, so I, I guess, I guess that's it. Um, I feel like there's so much to say about this show and there's also so much that I loved about it that I feel is like just small things that I haven't even had time to mention. Like it looks really good. Like it's a really good looking show. Um, I think it's filmed well and it looks nice and I liked the differentiation between the worlds. And I, you know, I just go on and on. I think there's so much to say, but I think you've got to stop somewhere after you've been talking for like a fucking hour. So I feel a bit hectic today. So I think I'm going to, going to stop it there. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, would I recommend it? I think so. I think it's worth watching, you know, I think it's, um, despite what I think of as a few flaws, it is a little bit slow at the start, but I feel like it's pretty fun and interesting there's a lot going on to keep you um you know interested and and keep you hooked and particularly towards the end like the pacing really kicks up a notch Lee Ho is like running around doing heaps of cool stuff like he becomes really changes from being a passive character to being a very active character driving the plot um it's very convoluted and interesting there's loads of twists there's loads of things you can't guess and I really enjoyed all the doppelganger stuff with you know actors playing multiple versions of themselves like it's super fun um so I definitely think it's worth watching so I guess I do recommend it despite what you might think after listening to me chat about it that I must have fucking hated it but I didn't (laughs) I actually really really liked it it just wasn't perfect and I guess I talked at length about the things that I felt let it down and I suppose that comes down to again it being a highly anticipated drama I think if you really really want something to be perfect you do end up being a little bit more picky about it than you might if you'd gone into it with no expectations and I do wonder if that has colored my opinion about the show a little bit but anyway that is it from me on the 16 episode 2020 drama The King Eternal Monarch So now it is time for my random thing of the week and um, this one is related to the king. So I'm on Instagram and I there's there's someone on there that I follow um, and she put up a super interesting post that is related to the king and related to history but also related to which I didn't touch on in my discussion at all but a lot of the symbolism like I missed quite a lot of it, I think, but there is very thoughtful symbolism and um, meaning behind a lot of the imagery and recurring um, motives and things like that in The King. Um, So I think it's quite a rich tapestry to kind of peel back on, um, which I didn't, you know, really kind of touch on in, in my discussion. So maybe this will be quite interesting for you because this does, um, 
for instance, you know, the weird yo-yo boy and his red string. So um, this this person, Madelon, also was saying, you know, like that's the string of fate. Like everything in that show has a lot of depth and meaning, which is very interesting to kind of discuss. So um, basically on Instagram, I follow someone called Madelon underscore CXX. So that's M-A-D-E-L-O-N underscore CXX. Um, I think she posts really interesting Korean related um, posts quite often, like Korean literature and different things like that. Um, Korean language stuff. Um, she's seems very, very proficient at that, which I'm not. Um, but this one was really interesting. And I guess I wanted to read it out to you guys um, in knowing that this is Madelon underscore CXX's post and definitely not mine or anything that I've been clever enough to put together. Um, but I thought it was really cool. So she's written for her post. I've been watching The King, The Eternal Monarch. I'm sure many of you have seen it already or will watch it soon. There's a poem by Kim So Wo, who lived 1902 to 1934, that gets referenced early on in the show. So I looked up some background information on it. The poem is Tohon, which means invocation of the dead. According to old Korean funeral customs, a relative of the deceased should go stand on a roof, face north and flap a blouse of the deceased with both hands while calling out the deceased's name thrice. I found the poem and its translation online. So she's got the poem in Korean, so in Hangul, and then she's got the translation, which I'm going to read. So this is the poem from the show. O shattered name. O name parted from me in midair, O name without owner, O name I'll call until I die. The words left in my heart, in the end I wasn't able to utter all, O you whom I loved, O you whom I loved. The red sun is hanging from the western summit, the herd of deer also cry sadly. Atop the mountain that has fallen off to the side, I call your name. I call your name till I can't bear the grief of it. I call your name till I can't bear the grief of it. The sound of my call sweeps forward, but sky and earth are too far apart. Though I turn to stone standing here, O name, I'll call until I die. O you whom I've loved. O you whom I loved. So um, Madelon underscore CXX has also written at the end of her post, apparently this poem was inspired by the suicide of the woman Kim was having an affair with. Um, I found a lot of interesting info on Kim So Wall and his poems online. It's too much to post here, so she'll post some more. So I think if that's interesting to you, you should definitely, if you're on um, Instagram, go and follow Madeline underscore CXX because she also put up another post after that with like another little bit of translation and a bit of background about this poet. And the poem is beautiful. Like it's super cool to the point where I'm like, I want to go buy this, this poet's um, collection, which apparently um, is called Azaleas. So I really would like to get my hands on that now. Um, but definitely I would suggest you follow her if that sounds interesting to you, because I think she puts up a lot of really interesting posts about, about Korea, about Korea, Korean literature. So like translated to English literature, although I think that Madeline um, speaks Korean enough to read books in Korea, in Korean, which I think is super cool. Um, so that's my random thing of the week. So now it is time for my something I'm loving this week uh, section and something I've been loving, just loving lately, um, is a book that I finished reading a little bit ago, but I'm still, I think about it a lot. So the book is called The Great Homecoming and it's by an author called Anna Kim. So Anna Kim is an author who was born in South Korea, but raised and currently lives in Austria. So the interesting thing is that The Great Homecoming was originally written in German, is my understanding, and translated to English, and yet is a novel of modern career, I suppose, modern Korean history. Um, it's a historical fiction novel, but it also is really, really filled chockers with historical detail. Um, I 
loved this book. And it's really interesting to me because I did read some reviews online for it by a lot of people who didn't love it. They felt that it had too much historical detail. So I do think that it's the kind of book, like it's historical fiction. It's definitely fiction. There's characters. They're, they're busy doing things in the book. Um, but I think that if you have an interest in Korean history, then it will be really, really up your alley. So I guess the interesting thing for me is that like, I am no expert when it comes to history by any means. Um, I'm just very, very interested in Korean history. And I feel like I know a little bit, um, you know, about the Joseon dynasty. And I know a little bit about occupation era Korea. But I, I realized that I literally knew nothing about Korea from 1945 up until modern Korea. Like, I honestly had no idea how how the North-South divide even happened. I didn't know the politics in the South. I didn't know anything. I didn't even really know what happened in Korea at the end of World War II when the Japanese, um, you know, obviously stopped occupying them. Um, and I feel this book, um, I've, I've always been somebody who I guess prefers to learn about history through fiction rather than nonfiction. I find that if I read a book about somebody experiencing a historical period, I can take that in a lot easier than, say, a book filled with facts. Um, somehow I think if there's an emotional connection for me, I can feel it a little bit more and then it, it sinks in and I'm able to learn it a lot easier. Um, so this book was just perfect for me. Like it was. I really loved the writing. I thought it was just so interesting and I learned so much in terms of history. The book, so the book kind of has this love triangle and is about, it's basically the main character is this young man um, and he's talking about his life. Well, we, we catch up with him when he's old and he's talking about his life since he was very young. So in the early 1940s, so still during Japanese occupation, he's, you know, maybe like, I don't know, eight or something. So he's talking about his childhood and kind of explaining what it was like in this little village that he lived in. And, you know, um, after World War II ended and the Japanese left and, you know, the Americans were there and the North-South divide happened and his village is in the South and how they lived there up until, you know, what is known as the Korean War. And in the book, the characters were calling the Civil War. Um so I think probably I, I know there's a lot of listeners from America and I think um, you would probably have more of an, you know, know a lot more about the Korean War because America was so heavily involved than I would from my country. It's not something that I ever got taught about in school. Um, so I really didn't know any of the history and the thing, so it kind of like a career itself is basically the biggest character in this book. And it just charts the history right up, um, you know, through the Korean war and the, out the other side and what the politics were like, particularly in the South. Um, because I didn't, I didn't understand, um, and it, it, it's very, very fascinating to learn more about how North Korea became the way North Korea is right now. Um, and also, very strangely, understand at that time the appeal to the people to go there and live there. Um, you know, the, the, it's really interesting. I, I didn't realize, but in the South after World War II, the government that rose up basically, you know, their, pre their president was not great. Like he basically became a dictator. Absolutely. He, he was not good. And the South was just as terrifying in terms of disappearances and executions and, you know, mass murders of protesting students as what we imagine the North to be like, you know, in this term, or like in this idea of, um, controlling of movement and thought and action and everything. I mean, the South was the same. Um, I think basically they were, the government was fascist. It's very, very scary. And I just didn't know. I didn't know. And, you know, Korea, oh, it was, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> such a fucking good book. I think if you're, if you're like me, didn't know much about that history, it's 
It's so eye-opening and I think the author Anna Kim did this incredible job of explaining a situation to you um, in terms of the history and I would constantly be reading something and I'd be like, oh, you know, these are the good guys. Like I'm so strongly emotionally on the side of this and then immediately she would tell the story from a different angle and show a different perspective and immediately remind me that nothing is ever as simple as there being good guys and bad guys. Um, Everything is so complex and difficult and hard to understand in history. Um, And, you know, history is dirty as fuck. History is horrible and it can't really be explained through being like, you know, the South was good and the north is bad and really it just doesn't work that way it's so complex and I really liked having well being reminded of that I mean I know that about history already but being reminded of that and also having my eyes opened to modern Korean history of which I knew nothing the thing that's really crazy about I mean you know, the war started in the 50s, but the aftermath in the 60s and the 70s and the political landscape. And when you think of, you know, a lot of the the vet, veteran actors in K-dramas that we watch today, they would have been kids back then. They would have experienced that. And modern soul, you know, modern career is so different to what the career, what career was only, you know, 50 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and anyone who's lived longer than that has really seen some unbelievably rapid and vast changes to their country. Um, And it's hard for me to even imagine what that must feel like, um, experiencing that scope of change across your lifetime. And also having grown up the way I can only imagine anyone of a certain generation in Korea grew up, which is under a I'm talking about South Korea, like under a dictatorship, um, you know, it, it's just different to what I thought, I suppose. So I found it really interesting and I highly encourage anyone who is interested in Korean history and wants to also read an interesting novel, um, to check out The Great Homecoming by Anna Kim. Um, I, loved it. I thought it was so good. Um, So if you decide to check it out, I hope that you will enjoy it.